So right now we're in the middle of a sermon series titled, You Are Welcome. And throughout this sermon series, we've, we've been asking the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? This is a question that, that the church has to wrestle with. This is a question that, that non-believers have to wrestle with. But as I said from the beginning, this, this series kind of has two audiences in mind. We have the, the, the church people and, and, and the non-believers. To the non-believers, I mean, you want to know. If you're curious, if you're, if you're just dipping your toe into Christianity, you're trying to figure out what this whole thing even means. This question of, of what does it mean to be a Christian is, is vitally important because it's kind of the determining factor if you're going to sign up or not. And it's important for, for those who have been in the church for a long time to wrestle with because sometimes our view can get kind of skewed. And we can start to, to pile on our preferences and what we want other people to do and what we want other people to look like and say, well, that's what it means to be a Christian when really it's just our version of Christianity. It's just our preferences. The title of this sermon series is You Are Welcome. And as we have looked at, at Jesus and his interactions with people, that's exactly what he has told them. Whether it's been Nicodemus in the middle of the night or whether it's been Zacchaeus who, who just wanted to see Jesus, Jesus told them, you are welcome. When the early church was faced with the question of what does it mean to be a Christian, they said, let's just keep it simple. Let's not add any requirements above and beyond what God has already said. And so for those of us who have been in the church, who are to be modeling this, this system, this, this attitude that Jesus has given us, we have an extra question that we need to be answering. Because Jesus is telling people, you are welcome, but when they come into our church, when they, when they encounter us, the question is, are they welcome? Do we welcome them in? I'm sure, I, I know you guys, you're nice people, and you're not going to tell anybody that they're not welcome. But many times our actions will speak louder than our words. And we may not tell someone they're not welcome, but the fact that we give them the look or, or we take a wide berth or, or whatever, we, we kind of give the impression, you don't fit. You don't match us. You don't look or think or act like us. And because of not going to say it, you're not really welcome here. But that's not what Jesus said at all. And as we've been looking at the stories of, of Jesus' interactions, this morning I want to look at one in John chapter 4. Because Jesus welcomed people no matter what, no matter where they came from, no matter what their past had been. And John chapter 4 illustrates that perfectly. We're going to start reading in John chapter 4, starting with verse 3. We're talking about Jesus. It says, so he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew. And I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. 
Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, there are a couple things to unpack here in just this first portion of this interaction. As I read through these words and as I see how Jesus interacts with this woman, I'm reminded of his interaction with Zacchaeus. If you remember, Zacchaeus was a, a terrible guy. He had done lots of bad things and nobody liked him. But Jesus accepted him. Without any qualifications, without any, you have to do this and do this before I accept you. Jesus accepted him just as he was. And he does the same thing with this woman. He doesn't shun her. He doesn't set out any, well, you know, if you want to talk to me, you need to do this and this. No, Jesus accepted her exactly as she was, even though everyone else said that he shouldn't. Even though everyone else would say, well, she is a Samaritan woman. I mean, she calls it out herself. You are not supposed to be talking to me. I am so much different. Your people don't like me. But you see, Jesus didn't focus on the labels. Jesus didn't focus on, well, you're a part of this group and I'm a part of that group. You see, we can get hung up on this. We, as a society, and the church is not immune to this, as a society, it's, it's easier to put people in groups. To say, well, you're a part of this group and I'm a part of that. Or, or you're a Democrat and I'm a Republican. Or you're, you're modern and I'm traditional. Or, or whatever it may be. We, we section off people into groups. We label our generations even. Saying, you are separate from me. I'm like this and you're like that. And when we put people into groups, it kind of makes it hard to interact with them. Because we're not the same. And there's an unspoken rule that you don't cross that line. I can't be friends with you. Or if I am, it's going to be strained. And we can only talk about these things, the areas where we have in common. Because otherwise it's just going to degrade into a fight. But Jesus didn't focus on the labels. Jesus didn't focus on, on the, the groups that she belonged to or that he belonged to. He he was just friendly with her. He was nice. He, he asked her for a drink of water in a non-threatening manner. He was a friend to her. And honestly, I mean, I have to give credit where credit is due. This is something that we as the church do a pretty good job of. We, we like being nice to people. We like helping people. Uh, when someone is in need, the, the church is some of the first people to go out there and, and to help. And, you know, we, we enjoy that building those, those relationships and being friendly. In fact, in the church, we kind of have a name for it. We call it friendship evangelism, where we're going to befriend you. We're going to, to be involved in your life so that we can share the gospel message. Because we, we've said multiple times throughout this series the culture has shifted to the point that if you go down to the street corner and you start, you know, get your megaphone out and you start telling people, repent or you're going to hell, you're going to get some people who are going to, to listen, but most of them are going to roll their eyes at you. Most of them are going to keep on walking. They're going to discount everything you say because they don't trust you. 
We don't have that level of trust. And so if we're going to share the gospel into people's lives, we have to build that trust. And that's what friendship evangelism does. We, we, get, we become a part of their lives so that we can earn the right to share and to tell them. But that's where we stumble. Because we like our friends and we want to keep our friends. And if I'm in this group and you're in that group, but we're still friends, there's those things that we can't talk about. Otherwise, it's going to jeopardize our friendship. And that's where, in my experience, as many people put friendship evangelism into practice, that's where it fails. Because we're really good at the friendship part. But friendship evangelism requires both friendship and evangelism. It requires taking that step and sharing the good news, telling people, taking that risk that they aren't going to like you, taking that risk that, that they may still disagree with you. But as we see, that's exactly what Jesus did. He took that risk. I don't know if it's the feeling of, of people here, but I've kind of gotten the feeling, and maybe it's just self-imposed, that throughout this series, as we've been talking about how we need to accept people where they are, how we need to, to, to welcome people before they repent or before they accept Jesus, I've gotten the impression that I've been accused of, of watering down the gospel. I'm not saying anyone in particular, again, it's probably just me, that when we talk about this stuff, anyone who, who tries to say love, 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 love without law gets accused of, of, of watering down the gospel. And, and this here, if you've, been, if you've been feeling like I've been watering down the gospel, this right here, this shows the, the whole process. And Jesus, he starts exactly where he did with Zacchaeus, where he welcomed him with, with no, no stipulations. But after that, after Jesus has established a relationship, Jesus doesn't stop there. Jesus calls this woman to something more. He invites her into what God has in store. He tells her, if you had any idea what was waiting for you, what was being offered to you, you would be asking for this living water, this living water that is going to change your life. He sets the bait out there, and she takes it. In verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. You see, Jesus didn't mince words. Jesus, while he welcomed her, while he invited her, he didn't, he didn't require her to, to get her life in order before, before interacting with her, but... There is still that call to holiness. There is still that call to be more and more like God. Like I said, this sermon series has two audiences in mind. And, 
and a message for each audience. And if you are, if you are in that, that first camp, if you're the, the curious person, you're, you're not quite sold on Christianity, you, you, you want to know more about Jesus, you're intrigued, but you don't want to take that leap just yet. This is the message that I have for you today. Because Jesus sat there, Jesus welcomed this woman. Jesus invited this woman into, into a friendship. Jesus called her to more. But even through all of that, Jesus already knew. All the stuff that's in her past, Jesus already knew. And in your life, Jesus already knows. Those things in your life that you're trying to hide, those things that, that you think, well, well, if, if anybody knew, if, if God knew, if the people in the church knew, then, then they wouldn't love me. Jesus already knows. See, you can come in here and you can put on a face and you can pretend like everything's okay. You can ignore your past and, and everything that's been going on. And you can fool just about everybody in here. You can fool your pastor. There are things that I know that you don't know that I know. But I don't know everything. You can fool me. You can fool everyone else around you. But you can't fool God. Jesus already knows. Jesus knew when, you, when it was going on. Jesus knows now. And you know what? He loved you even then. Even in the midst of it, even when everything was, was going wrong, even now as you have those regrets, Jesus knows and he still loves you. His love is unconditional. You don't have to hide it from him. You can't hide it from him. Because you see what happens when, when we try to hide it from him, hiding it from God does not change God's love for you. When we put up those walls to, to keep him out, to, to hide those things that we're uncomfortable with or that we're not proud of, we don't, we're not hiding them from God. But what we're really doing is preventing us from getting to him. We are preventing ourselves from receiving that love, from em embracing the, the life that God has for us. What we're doing is inhibiting ourselves and harming ourselves because we think we're hiding it from him. But even when those walls are broken down, it goes on and, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from, is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. See, what we see here, Jesus got behind those walls. Jesus touched a nerve. And when that wall didn't work, she threw up another one. 
This is a very common tactic. If, if you have ever tried to, to walk with someone to, to lead them to, to find Jesus, this is a very common tactic. When you, when you get to the heart of it, when you, when you touch in a place that they don't want touched, then another wall goes up. And in this case, she began arguing doctrine. Well, but you Jews, you say that we have to go down there and worship, but we say that you can worship up here. So tell me who is right and who is wrong. Because if you tell me that I am wrong and you are right, well, then I don't have to listen to you anymore because you don't agree with me. But if you tell me that I am right and you are wrong, then why in the world should I listen to you? That's the tactic. And that's exactly what she's uh, employing here, but Jesus doesn't fall for it. Jesus doesn't get caught up in the argument. The argument does nothing but distract from that uncomfortable conversation, from where God's spirit is leading, where, where God's spirit is touching in that heart. Don't get drawn into the argument. Jesus deflected it saying, yeah, this is how things are, but you know what? God is so much more than that. God is more than, than someone who needs worship here or there. God's people need to worship him from their very hearts, wherever they are, because God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit. But as this conversation goes on, Jesus begins to break through. Jesus begins to reach this woman, and, and we can see the change in her as we jump to the end of the conversation in verse 27, where it says, Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want? or Why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. I find it interesting that it specifically states that, that the disciples didn't question Jesus. Because you know what was going on in their heads. You know those were the exact things that they were thinking because that's what all the, the church people would have thought. That's what all the Jews would have thought. How in the world can you be talking to this Samaritan woman? But they didn't say anything. And the woman's life was changed. So much so that she began to, to tell other people. You see, the reality is Curious people, those who are seeking Jesus, they are drawn to love and compassion, and they're drawn to answers. And that's exactly what Jesus was offering. Jesus offered love and compassion. I accept you as you are, but I have so much more in store for you. And I have answers. I have the keys to life. I have access to living water that I want to give to you, that God wants to give to you. And because of that, her life was changed. Now, I've heard it said countless times. New believers make the best witnesses. And you know why that is? 
Because we spend all of our time in that friendship evangelism, trying to, to build that relationship, trying to get our foot in the door, trying to earn the right to share the gospel with people. But she can, step, she can skip that step. She already has access to all these people who already know her, who already trust her, and that are seeking the same things that she is seeking. And when she comes to them and she shares with them, this is what I found. This is the love that I received. This is, these are the answers that I have been given and I want to share them with you too. There is something compelling about that. And the curious people will flock to love and answers as we see right here. The question is when they come, are they welcome? I mean, imagine how, how the disciples were feeling here. I mean, they came back and they saw Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman. That was not okay. But they didn't say anything about it. And then this woman goes away and brings the whole town of Samaritans to come and talk to him. Are they welcome? When they start coming in, are they welcome? Because the, the truth is, when you bring different people into the church, the church is going to look different. It's not going to be the same. When you bring one person in, that's not a big deal. You bring one person in and they're different, well, there's kind of that expectation that, that they are going to conform. They're going to start to look like us and think like us and act like us. Because we have the numbers on our side. But when that person tells somebody else or, or two people, and then those people each tell three people each, and, and the numbers start to grow, when the number of people who aren't like us starts to outnumber us, that's when we get scared. That's when we pull the plug. That's when we start stepping back and saying, well, no, no, no. This isn't what I signed up for. This isn't how it's supposed to look. Because we, we like our church exactly as it is. We like our, our small church where we know everybody, where, where we can have those personal, intimate relationships, where we are comfortable. And we can bring a few people in here and there, but if we start getting too many, things are going to change, and that is not comfortable. The reality is the mission is not to give you a comfortable place to worship. The mission is not to give you a place where you can come and you can feel safe. The mission is to bring the lost people in. The mission is to reach out and to, to help people and to, to bring them into this community, to this family, so that we can help each other and they're going to have contacts with people that we never would and we can continue to build and grow. And it's going to look different. But that's what Jesus did. And the reality is we can't, we can't remain a small, personal, close-knit community of faith and still accomplish that mission. Because the mission requires that we bring people in. And if we're going to bring people in, people who are different, then it's going to look different. Now, don't get me wrong. 
I know that there is a great need to have that group. There is a, a, a great need to have that, that core, you know, close-knit family, that, that place where you can have that support, where people can lift you up and encourage you. That is vitally important to each and every one of us. But the whole church can't be that. That's why I keep trying to push small groups. That's what the small group needs to be. That needs to be that, that home base. And it needs to be that place where you can come and you can share everything and people will lift you up. But when we come to church, we are on a mission. And we need to be reaching souls. We need to be bringing people in who haven't heard the word of God. People who have been shunned by the church, who don't like the church. We need to be reaching out to them and those that they're associated with and their friends and their friends and their friends and that's going to make things different and that's going to make things uncomfortable. But we can't have a small church that... We can't have it all. We can't sit here and be comfortable and say that we're accomplishing the mission. Because the mission means going out. The mission means inviting them in. And if we're going to follow Jesus, if, if we're going to, to honestly wrestle with these questions, what does it mean to be a Christian? If we're going to honestly tell ourselves that they are welcome, then we have to be willing to invite them and we have to be willing to make them welcome. This is where my notes run out. <laughs> I don't have anything else beyond this. Because that's, that is my heart. That is all through sabbatical. That has been what has been weighing on my heart. That we, we come to church. I've been here seven years. We come to church and we do our thing and, and we, we pat ourselves on the back because we're, we're doing things and, and we love our church. And, and every single time I hear the same thing, well, I, I came to this church because it's a small, close-knit church. I came to this church because it's a family. That's what, what drew me to this church. And I'm not trying to take that away. I want there to be those close-knit groups but the larger you get, the less you can have that. We need those small groups. We need those, those home base. But if we make the whole church that, we're not going to be reaching out. Because we're going to be afraid that bringing different people in is going to make things look different. That bringing people in is going to disrupt our, our neat little family. That bringing people in is going to make us uncomfortable. Our mission remains the same. To bind the broken, to build disciples, and to bring people to Jesus. The love of Jesus compels us to do this. But if we're not willing to let them come in, if we are not willing to tell them, you are welcome we might as well turn them away at the door because we're not going to keep them here. 
They're not going to be a part of this family. They're going to, to walk away because we told them that Jesus loved them. We told them that they were welcome, but then we didn't include them. We continued to turn them away. We told them, you can come and join our family. You can come be with us, but you might be best at another church. That's not what Jesus said. That's not what Jesus did. And if we are going to follow him, if we are going to be the hands and feet of Jesus, then we need to mirror what he did. And when that group of Samaritans starts storming the doors, coming to hear about the word of God, even though it's going to make the church look different, we need to welcome them and accept them and share with them the love of Jesus and walk with them in that journey of, of grace and holiness. Heavenly Father, God, you have demonstrated over and over what this church is supposed to look like. And God, churches all across America have gotten it wrong so many times. Because we want to be comfortable. We want to, to know everybody. We want things to be how we want. And when we do that, when we make the church comfortable for us, it becomes uncomfortable for those who aren't like us. And so God, may you help us to find those groups, to, to build those groups, but God, to welcome anybody and everybody into this fellowship that we share. God, may you open the doors for us to be a witness, to share with people from different groups who carry different labels. That God, they may find you. For that's the culmination of our mission, to bring people to Jesus. And God, may we be faithful, no matter what it takes. May we be faithful in accomplishing the mission that you have given us. Go with us this week. We need your strength. And God, I'm sure that some of what has been said today didn't sit well. But God, I pray that given time, you would help us to see the truth. That the mission is bigger than what we're comfortable with. But the mission is what we need to be pursuing. The mission is all that matters. Speak to our hearts, God, I pray. In your holy name, amen. God bless you guys. I love you. We'll see you next week.